0: Hey everyone, this is Danette here from Vicarious Resilience. I'm excited to tell you that Vicarious Resilience is being picked up in 47 cities around the world in 8 different countries. So a shout out and a hello to everyone from Canada, the US, France, Germany, Australia, the Philippines, the UK, and Spain. Welcome. I had no idea that people all around the world were going to be listening to me when I started this. This is a passion project for me. And I'm thrilled that the topics, skills, ideas, people are finding worthwhile, and hopefully it's adding to your lives. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. I'm on Patreon. There's a bunch of exclusive stuff that you can get if you're a member, and there's a whole bunch of different tiers of membership. So, you know, if you're interested, just check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. But for now, let's cue the intro. Welcome back to another episode of Vicarious Resilience, where you can learn specific skills to help you face difficult struggles or just daily life. I'm your host, Danette Honish, and I'm a registered clinical counselor. Vicarious resilience is about learning the skills that have worked for others and trying to use them for ourselves. It's also about sharing what works for us so we can help others. Each individual doesn't need to figure these skills out for themselves let's add to each other's toolbox. I have the opportunity and pleasure today of speaking with Edmund Sutu. Edmund is a counselor, and I've had the privilege of working with him over the last couple of years. He is a, a super interesting and enthusiastic counselor, and I just wanted to pick his brain a little bit about the things he has found as a counselor. But let's start by just talking to Edmund and finding a little bit about his life and what brought him to counselling.
1: Hey, Danette, thank you very much for uh, having me on on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to work with you for the last, last little bit, and I look forward to, to keep working with you in the next future as well. So uh, uh,
0: so what brought you to counselling?
1: Well, I I noticed that I uh, in my previous jobs, I really like working with youth and individuals. So... And I really appreciate the opportunity to, get to know people more on a more personal level. So I pursued counseling because, you know, I was really fascinated and I was getting to know people more intimately, more personally, um, you know, beyond just the usual, you know, service level conversations. You know, I've, I pursued counseling just as a chance to, to be connected with others and, and to, to, I don't know, to have, that, to have that connection with others that we don't we often have in our everyday life.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a deeper connection than just a, something kind of surface.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And when did you discover that you wanted to uh, become a counselor?
1: Uh, it's an it, it, interesting journey. I, well, um, you know, I'm a former job. I was a teacher and I also volunteered for um, for a crisis line. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to know people, um, to hear their stories. Um, and just to have a, and from my own learning too, just to have a, a wide perspective of the world too. So, um, something about that just kept me drawing towards that field. And, and I figured counseling, I just give it a shot. And so far it's working out.
0: Okay, great. So you're, you were an adult when you came to the decision of becoming a counselor and, and were drawn towards that.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: How, where did you graduate from? How long have you been a counselor? What are the things you discovered that you didn't know when you went into counseling?
1: Uh, oh, oh, goodness. Uh, so I graduated from the SFU Counseling Psychology Program uh, in 2019, so just over a year. Um, and in that... Year. and even during my training, uh, you know, we, had, we, also, we all supervised counseling, hour, hundreds of hours of supervised counseling. And I've had a chance to work with, as soon as I got hired on as a counselor, to work with uh, younger children, so from ages five to so 13. Uh, and then in my community practice as, as a counseling intern, i worked with, uh, you know, adults, young adults, to people who are close to their middle age, in addition to children and youth and in my current position i work mostly primarily with youth uh ages 13 to 18
0: wow that's that is a huge range <laughs> so you've uh, even though you haven't been a counselor for very long you've had quite a a wide range of uh of clientele everything from like kindergarten five year olds up to um people who are potentially retired or or middle aged anyways
1: yeah and it's interesting too, and I, uh, the, I intern mostly at uh, nonprofit agencies. So, and I, I work at also a and a, a nonprofit agency too. So, working with um, with people who typically wouldn't have access to counseling services, um, I've, I've learned there's a huge demand. There's a there's a shortage of accessible mental health services out there too. So, it really really helps shapes um, I don't know how we how we perceive mental health and, and access to services.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. And you're right, there is a huge need out there. And not everyone who has the need has the, the financial uh, ability to be able to pay for private counseling. So um, those agencies do so much good in our communities. Can you tell me a little bit about th- things that you didn't know before you started counseling, or you assumed it would be one way, and how it turned out to be something different?
1: Okay, yeah I, I remember um, going to my first my first position first even even as an intern, um, thinking you know i've done my research, I found all these great theories, I found all these great lists of different strategies and and counseling techniques and activities we can try I had, I had a whole I had a whole Google Drive of it, and, um, and I, can, I still have that Google Drive to this day where I had all these books and articles I referenced and when i started started the job um i realized that a lot of the strategies and ideas they were great for very specific contexts but for the most part um and my professors kept hammering into us too like most people most kind of works is just having that genuine connection having that um you know therapeutic alliance whatever you want to call it, people want to call it um having that that connection that that strong rapport is is the most was the most, most effective tool and that was almost like a culture shock to me because I, I expected um counseling or just helping others to look a certain way to look very you know very like TV drama you know it's,
0: it's <laughs> yeah.
1: big, big insights and antiphonies and music plays in the background and then I realized <laughs> that's actually not how it works
0: it's not really how it works right yeah yeah you're right that uh that personal rapport and that feeling of safety to be attached to you, um, is, uh, or to be attached to the counselor is, um, something that I think people just strive for, you know, there, it's a need in people to feel attached and for that attachment to feel safe. And, um, so it, yeah, it sounds like that's what, that's what you're finding. That's, that is, uh, really interesting. And that's something that I've kind of thought a lot about as well so when you're when you're working with clients what are some of the different strategies that you go to
1: oh there's quite a number um but i think for today we'll focus on the idea of uh having a playful just a playful or scheduling playtime, um and just having a very playful approach with my clients um I think as, as, as we get older, we tend to forget about the importance of play. We sort of um, feel pressure to always be productive 110% of the time.
0: Yes, that and, is very true.
1: <laughs> and that productive side of us takes over and we forget that for some reason, humans, we just have this innate desire to have fun um, and to connect with others in some way so um and this can be really hard it sounds really simple and for me it's just as, as someone who used to uh you know work 12-hour days and then go at night to volunteer um you know it's hard to buy into the idea that that scheduled play time is important right. it's really hard um because i i you know it's it's i still wrestle out here that i need to be productive 110 percent of my time
0: right yeah so out of curiosity, um, at what point did the penny kind of drop for you? When did you realize like, wow, you know, I'm working 12-hour days and then I'm going and I'm volunteering and, and I need to be adding playfulness into my own life?
1: I, I think it was um, when I started having vacation days and I thought, okay, well, uh, now, now I'm, I'm on this vacation time and I thought, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> I, I need to do something with my time. And then I can't remember where I was. Um, just thinking to myself, you know, I I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I started taking uh, a weekly cycling class in, in my local gym, and I, I was sweating. I was way outside my comfort zone. I thought, Why am I doing this? Why am I paying money for this person to yell at me while I'm spinning on the machine? I'm like, Cause I'm actually enjoying it in a strange way. I've never been an athlete. I uh, I was enjoying it, and I and I went back. To work, and I went back to feeling more invigorated. I felt like, wow, like nothing really changed in my life except I started having these scheduled activities where I felt more nourished um, internally. I felt like I felt more energized, and I felt like when I went back to working with with people I was working with, I had more to bring to the conversation. I could say, oh yeah, you know, I started this, doing this, and I started playing um, a video game again. So, and people were interested in that. Like that made me more human.
0: Um. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So also that you mentioned like getting outside your comfort zone that, that you've never felt that you were an athlete and doing something that was athletic was outside your comfort zone. And so maybe you can like connect with uh, when your clients are talking about, you know, feeling uncomfortable about things, you can relate more to it.
1: Exactly. You know, rem um, remember, you know, that feeling of being pushed outside my comfort zone and what some person might see is, Oh, it's simple. This is an easy activity that we all do. Uh, for someone else who could say, no, that's very intimidating. And uh, you know, I need to go slow when I do this.
0: You discovered this idea and started adding it into your own life. And then this weird time happened and all of a sudden you know, here we are in COVID and that gym that you go to got shut down. And uh, so then how did you, how did you find play in your life during a time of COVID?
1: That's a great question, Jeanette, because I've been also been trying to support um, my clients through COVID as well. And of course it's affecting all of us. So I'm, that just, that I know sometimes some counselors and therapists like to have this, uh, this connection between, clients, but there's something that's just a global pandemic affecting all of us, one human to another human. Um, and I learned that this really forced stuff forced made us think about um, different ways that we can still find this sense of play um, in pandemic. And it's different when the government is telling us restricts our activities, but um, just going outside, going for a walk and Looking at things that I didn't look at before, really slowing down and say, "Hey, my neighborhood has a garden here I never noticed," or dusting off these old books I haven't read in a while, or realizing, "Hey, that old that old Wii system I had kept in the in my storage <laughs> locker I can again." Um, Great. Right. And I'm work with my too. I'm hearing lots of stories at first when it was really challenging too. They a their a lot of their activities, a lot of things that they did for fun um, and distraction, the coping strategies were, were limited. And so that first few months was, was difficult. I remember having conversations with different people. Um, and for me, it's been really um, rejuvenating, rediscovering uh, different aspects of play.
0: Yeah. OK. Um, I, I understand that you uh, that you had done your research project for your master's on resilience. And I'm wondering how, uh, how you're finding that play comes into resilience.
1: So it, um, the interesting thing about resilience I found was that there's there this very strong belief that resilience is something that is innate in us. We either have it or don't have it. You know, some people have this, something inside of us in our stomach or somewhere in our body that makes us overcome adversity. When really, um, I think Anne Masters really pushes the idea that it's, it's more than just that. We all have the potential for resilience, and it's not something we have or don't have. It's an ability to um, navigate our our system, our environment, to find things that work for us, and people that can help us, or things that work for us. Um, And it's different for every single person. Uh, So what works for one person doesn't work for another person, and that connection, that attachment like we've been talking about is what really helps uh, drive that resilience. there's that famous story of, of the bus driver who made a big difference. So, the bus driver just said to the person, says is a child at risk. And every morning, for that child to have someone who would pick them up and say good morning to them was enough to get that person through, through adversity. Um, and it doesn't have to be something magical, it doesn't have to be TV, drama level stuff. It is just that attachment, that consistency to someone who cares or something that, that matters.
0: So for you, two of the, the strong points that you're finding with resilience is attachment and connection and, and playfulness.
1: Yeah, like even in my work with people, I will, sometimes people just, we don't want to talk about always the things that are, are emotionally exhausting or the ones that are, um, all, we don't want to repeat the stories of, of adversity all the time, you know, through the time and place. And so I like to bring in a sense of playfulness, you know, like, tell me about, like, let's talk about your favorite, let's talk about our favorite things together. Let's talk about the things that make us human again, you know, expanding that story that those narratives of like, yeah, this, this adversity has happened and I'm showing sensitivity to that. And also there's, there's more to you, there's more to us than just our problems. There's more to us than that. We have, uh, we, we have this negativity bias to, to all the negative negative um let's remember the, the things that we enjoy in life that make life worth living for
0: yes absolutely yeah we are we are not our problems we are uh, our problems are just one aspect in our lives but it doesn't define us and it is not 100% of our lives there is always good things that are happening and and stopping to kind of recognize those and and uh, and i think sometimes that in in counseling, when people come to counseling, uh, they can spend a lot of time focusing on their problems and it, it can give the indication that their problems are a hundred percent of their life. And so that, yeah, that's great that, uh, keeping that playfulness, uh, keeps everything in check and, and makes sure that, um, yeah, that the problems aren't seen as 100% of the person's life, but maybe they're only 10% of the person's life, and 90% is great.
1: Yeah, and this is backed by research, I promise. <laughs> uh, uh, even for dead Dana has uh, done a lot of work um, in looking at the different nervous systems we have. Biologically, we have three nervous systems, and the one nervous system that really helped us grow and thrive something that helps us get to that point is, is play, you know, play and specifically play with other people, that interaction. So I, I think um, it's important to remember and uh, playful attitudes is, is so important. Um, it brings connection, connection. So maybe instead of me and my mother always bickering about the dishes or laundry or something, or we could spend some time doing something fun together that could be playing a game it could be just having jokes joking around it could even just be going going on a walk or shopping trip together um being more than just a problem so yeah you know we can we can fight about the dishes in 10 minutes that's the dishes are still going to be there um but for now let's 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 do something fun and that way we are more than just arguing we have other things in our lives that are important and that brings once that playtime's over, we're both cooled off and we both kind of, kind of, kind of start thinking about things rationally again before um, taking on, tackling on whatever's next.
0: The, uh, and that's actually, that's a really good example of um, right now in, in COVID when we're spending a lot more time with our families than, uh, than perhaps we have in the past, that uh, making sure that we're taking time to have fun with each other and go and do things that are enjoyable and to be fair, during this time, over the last couple of months, I have seen more families out bike riding together and out going like to to parks and having a picnic together. Whereas uh, perhaps in the past, um, I might have seen people out bike riding, but they were with a bike riding club. So it was all men of the same age or women of the same age who were going out together. And now I see families going out together and building that Attachment through play. So, yeah, interesting that that playfulness and building positive memories and uh, and building attachment can only be a positive thing. That's um, uh, that's only going to add to our lives. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, thank you very much, Edmund. This has been a super interesting conversation, and you know, I'm I'm sure that over time you're going to have other ideas and things that you would like to share and perhaps you'll come back as a guest at another time.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's been a great conversation to Danette. I really appreciate this. It's been very really playful.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that note, it is a beautiful day out today and uh, perhaps it's time to get outside and, and go be playful ourselves. So <laughs> I'm going to sign it off now, Edmund and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer.
1: Thanks, Danette. Take care.
0: Okay, Edmund. Take care. Bye-bye. I really enjoyed my conversation with Edmund today. He's a really insightful guy and he's easy to talk to. And I love his idea of adding playfulness into our lives and just making sure that we're scheduling it in so it doesn't get run over by work. And using playfulness as a way to add to attachments, I think that's a great idea because there's nothing better than going out and having fun with somebody else. I think that brings us to the end of another episode of Vicarious Resilience. I'm your host, Danette Honish.